Let me invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9 with me. What happens when you make something your primary goal? What happens? It seems that when we make something our primary goal, everything else becomes second place, doesn't it? For example, suppose you decided that you wanted to take a trip to California. That was your primary goal. I am going to take a trip to California by the end of this winter. And what happens is that we have to decide, okay, what all needs to take place in order for me to be in California? What what types of things need to take place? So I, I need to buy a ticket. I need to determine how long I'm going to be there, when I'm going to go. I need to, to, to figure out who's going to go with me, what I'm going to do when I get there. And so it, it's, it basically takes up all of our time trying to determine what we're going to do and plan all those things. You, you see this happen uh, when it comes to planning for a wedding or preparing a large dinner. You have to determine how many guests are there. And when you determine that goal, everything else takes second place so that those things are no longer of primary importance. And so someone could, could come up to you and ask you, well, why aren't you coming over to have coffee with me anymore? How come I don't see you, uh, you know, uh, at the, at wherever, at this local place where we can we normally get together? How come you don't watch as many sporting events as you used to? How come you don't uh, get involved in all these different TV programs that you used to watch with me? They could say, "Listen, I've got something of more importance." I'm trying to get out of the cold of Michigan into the warmth of California, and that is my priority. All those other things don't matter. Those are important at other times in my life, but right now this is of primary importance, of utmost importance. And that type of planning and prioritizing happens in every area of our lives, whether we think about it or not. I mean, we don't often think, okay, this this is my priority right now, and now I've moved this down to second place, this is down at third place, and so on. We do this automatically. We do this subconsciously. But it happens all the time. We determine what our goal is, in this case, California, getting to California, how to get to that goal, the means to that goal, and then we prioritize our life around that goal so that we, we finally come to that. And that's exactly what Paul is doing here in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he's not planning a trip to California. He's, he's planning his life around his goal. And his goal is to spread the gospel as far as it can go and to as many people as it can reach. That is his priority. So let's begin reading with the first 18 verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. My defense to those who examine me is this. Do we not have a right to eat and drink? Do we not have a right to take along a believing wife, even as the rest of the apostles and the brothers of the Lord and of Cephas? Or do only Barnabas and I not have a right to refrain from working? Who at any time serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat the fruit of it? Or who tends a flock and does not use the milk of the flock? I'm not speaking these things according to human judgment, am I? 
Or does not the law also say these things? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing. God is not concerned about oxen, is he? Or is he speaking altogether for our sake? Yes, for our sake it was written, because the plowman ought to plow in hope, and the thresher to thresh in hope of sharing the crops. If we sowed spiritual things in you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share the right over you, do we not more? Nevertheless, we did not use this right, but we endure all things so that we will cause no hindrance to the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who perform sacred services eat the food of the temple? And those who attend regularly to the altar have their share from the altar? So also the Lord directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel. But I have used none of these things. And I am not writing these things so that it will be done so in my case, for it would be better for me to die than for any man to make my boast an empty one. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for I am under compulsion. For woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this voluntarily, I have a reward. But if against my will, I have a stewardship entrusted to me. What then is my reward? that when I preach the gospel, I may offer the gospel without charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. Now, we're, we're going to go all the way through the end of chapter 9, but we'll stop there for right now. Tonight, we're going to see in this chapter that every aspect of our life must be lived in light of the implications that it has on the gospel. Paul is doing this. He, he sets up his right to receive money because of the gospel, but he denies that right for the sake of the gospel so that the gospel would be more prominent in the people that he is serving. And so in the first 18 verses of which we've, we've just read, Paul explains his right to receive money because of the ministry of the gospel. He begins by saying that he has a right as an apostle in verses 1 and 2. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? These are all answered with yes. Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship. The basic point that he's trying to make here in the first two verses is that, listen, if you want to have proof that I am an apostle, then look at yourselves, Corinth, church at Corinth. You are my proof. The very fact that you exist is proof that I am an apostle because I brought you the gospel. He's not trying to be proud or anything. He's just trying to set up, as you'll see, that he has a right to receiving money because of the gospel. And so in verse 2 he says that this is the seal of my apostleship. That is, the church of Corinth exists because of his testimony. And uh, so in the first two verses, he, he begins this case that he's making, that I have a right. My first right is based on, or my right is based on, first of all, the fact that I am apostle, an apostle. Here are some of the other rights in verses 3 through 7 that he has. My defense to those who examine me is this. Do we not have a right to eat and drink? Paul's saying, listen, I have a right to, to eat and drink on the church's money based on, on what the church has given. It's the same right as any of the other apostles would have received. 
They have a, a right to receive food and drink from the church. He also has a right, verse 5, to be married. Do we not all have the right to take along a believing wife? And then we get to verse 7, and he, he lists some examples. And he says, you think, if you don't think I have a right, look at all these examples from the secular world. Okay, Look at verse 7. Who at any time serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who does that? Paul's saying no one. No one does that. All soldiers do it at the expense of someone else. They're going out, they're doing this service, and they expect to be to to receive some sort of income to pay for their service. And then the next one is he compares it to a vineyard owner. Who plants a vineyard and does not eat the fruit of it? Of course, if you have a vineyard some or some sort of fruit tree, you're going to, to eat the fruit from it. Paul says this happens all the time. Not only that, he gives the illustration of a farmer at the end or, or a uh, shepherd who, who tends the flock and does not use the milk of the flock. Okay, and So he's saying, listen, everybody does this. We could say it with the case of making Christmas goodies. Who makes Christmas goodies without eating some of them, right? Paul's saying this happens all the time. People eat the fruit of their labors. And so why should it be any different for me? They all enjoy the fruit of their labors. In fact, this is a principle that's set up in other parts of Scripture. He tells Timothy that the hardworking farmer, 2 Timothy 2.6, the hardworking farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. And then uh, even Jesus Christ Himself laid down this principle in Luke chapter 10, verse 17. The worker deserves his wages. The point that Paul's making here is that if someone is doing some sort of work, they deserve to receive some sort of fruit from that labor. And so he's saying, listen, I'm an apostle. Every other, every other uh, position in, in any type of industry, they all receive some sort of fruit from their labor. And sh should not I also be able to receive that same sort of uh, fruit, or in this case money, from, from my labor? And so he, he expands on that in verses 8 through 12, and he, he tells what kind of, of fruit he should receive. Verses 8 through 12 say that he should receive some kind of financial support from the churches that he is helping. Verse 8 I am not speaking these things according to human judgment, am I? Or does not the law also say these things? For it is written in the law of Moses, You shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing. God is not concerned about oxen, is He? Or is He speaking altogether for our sake? Yes, for our sake it was written, because the plowman ought to plow in hope and the thresher to thresh in hope of sharing the crops. And then here's where He lays down the argument. If we sowed spiritual things in you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share the right over you, do we not more? Paul's saying, listen, there are other people who are serving you and they are receiving financial remuneration as a result of their work. Now, I'm an apostle. I'm the one who, who brought you into existence in a way. He's not uh, trying to be man-centered here. He's just trying to set up this, this claim that he has on them. So if they, should have, if they received money, these other teachers, these other uh, leaders in their church, should I not more? And obviously the answer is, yes, Paul, you should. You should be able to receive some sort of money um, from these churches. Now, he takes all that time, those first 12 verses, to set up, hey, I'm an apostle, 
All these other people receive fruit from their labor. I should do it too. Uh, there's other teachers in your midst even that are receiving money. Shouldn't I not more? He sets this whole thing up that, yes, I should receive money. And then look what he does in the second part of verse 12. Nevertheless, we did not use this right, but we endure all things so that we will cause no hindrance to the gospel of Christ. So Paul takes all this time to set up his right, his right to receive money because of the gospel. And then this next part, the verses 12 through 18, he now basically refuses this right. And, uh, and, and it begins there in verse 12 by saying, Although I deserved it, I'm, I'm declining for the sake of the gospel. I don't want to hinder the gospel in any way. I don't want people think, to think that I'm giving the gospel so that I can receive money. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to reject that money. And then he gives the example of temple servants in verse 13. He says, Do you not know that those who perform sacred services eat the food of the temple, and those who attend regularly to the altar have their share from the altar? Obviously, the Levites in the Old Testament were not people, the priests there, they, they were not people who would, would get money from their own living necessarily. They would eat from the, the, the sacrifices that were made on behalf of the other people that were coming to them. And so if, if, they, should have, uh, if they received it, then should not Paul have also received some kind of financial support from the work that he was doing? And then he goes on and, and talks about his right even uh, again here in verse 14. He says, So also the Lord directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel. That is, listen, I have the right, again, he goes back to his point, I have the right to receive money because of the gospel. Okay, so Paul, why are you rejecting this money? Why is it that you will not accept this money? Is it because you're trying to be subtle? You're trying to drop a little hint? No, please. You know, please stop. Don't give me any more money. Where with his mouth he's saying no, but with his hand gestures, his body language, he's saying give me more. No, that's not what Paul's saying. In fact, he, he, he explains that in verses 15 and 16. But I have used none of these things, and I am not writing these things so that it will be done in my case. For it would be better for me to die than to have any man make my boast an empty one. For if I had preached the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for I am under compulsion. For woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. Paul's saying, I would rather die than receive money uh, in response to the gospel that I've given. And the reason he says that is because he is boasting in the gospel that he is giving, we'll see later, free of charge. There's no strings attached to this gospel that he's giving. He's saying, I am presenting this to you not so that you can exalt me, not so that you can give me some sort of thing in return. I want to offer this free of charge so that you recognize how much I care about the gospel. That was his life. That was his goal. And uh, so he, he further explains his reasoning for rejecting the money in verses 17 and 18. He says, For if I do this voluntarily, I have a reward. But if against my will, I have a stewardship entrusted to me. What then is my reward? That when I preach the gospel, I may offer the gospel without charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. 
So what Paul is saying is not that it's sinful for him to take money. It would not have been a sin for Paul to take money. He's saying, listen, I have the right. It is a part of my duty. It's a part of who I am and what I do to receive money from the gospel. But I'm not going to take that right. I'm not going to use full use of the gospel, even though I, I very well could. In fact, the Scriptures lay out a case for me to take it. And uh, so, so Paul's talking about an increased reward that he is looking for. And the, the main point there is that he, he wants to be, have the gospel presented unhindered. Look back at verse 12, second part again. Nevertheless, we did not use this right, this right to receive money, but we endure all things so that we will cause no hindrance to the gospel of Christ. Paul was so changed by the cross and he was so affected by what it had done to him that he was willing to do whatever it took to make sure that that gospel was spread without any hindrance. It was as if he made that his goal. Like we were talking about going to California. He made that his goal. Everything else didn't matter. Listen, I'll take a job on the side if I have to because I want the gospel to glow. I want the, the gospel to be magnified in the area, in, in this area and around every person that I see. And I do, do not want them to think in any way that I am doing this for money because that is not what I'm doing. And that's why he says in verse 16 that he would rather die than someone take away that boast that he has. Now, if Paul is going to do this, it's going to require some personal extremes. It's going to require some very difficult service on his part in order for this gospel to be presented unhindered. And that's what he talks about in verses 19 through 27. The personal extremes that he went to went through for the sake of the gospel. Verses 19 through 23, he begins with sacrificial service that he performed for the sake of the gospel. For though, excuse me, for though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all, so that I may win more. To the Jews I became as a Jew, so that I might win the Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, though not being myself under the law, so that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, as without law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, so that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that I by all means may save some. I do all things for the sake of the gospel, so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. The summary of these verses can be found in, in two of them. Verse 19, For though I am free of all men, I have made myself a slave to all, so that I may win more. You see what his goal is there? At the end of the verse, so that I may win more. That is his goal that he's fixed his eyes on. Everything else becomes secondary. He's prioritized his goal that he may win more. Verse 22, To the weak I became weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men. Why, Paul? What is your primary goal in all this? So that I, I by all means may save some. His goal is to reach more people with the gospel. His goal is to make sure that the, the gospel is presented to every person unhindered by their own 
uh, hang-ups, their own personal hang-ups. And so he, he says to the Jew, I become a Jew, verse 20. Those who are under the law. He, that does not mean that he placed himself under the Jewish um, system of works, but he did put himself under the Jewish custom. So that uh, in, in the case of, of Timothy, we have him performing an extreme act. Turn back to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. You'll see how much Paul is concerned about the message of the gospel and to make sure that, that, there are, that people are not hung up on, on things that don't really matter a whole lot. Okay, this is Paul with his, um, his student Timothy in Acts chapter 16, verse 1. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman, and who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. And he was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted this man to go with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Okay, so you have a young man, Timothy, whose who's father is a Greek and whose mother is a Jew. But because of that, he did not have to be circumcised. And and so Timothy was now wanting to go among the Jews and preach them, and Paul wanted Timothy to go among them, but he knew that this would be a hang-up for them. He knew that this would be a problem, and he said, listen, Timothy, I know that this doesn't, this doesn't mean anything about your spiritual condition. This doesn't make you any more spiritual than anyone else. But do you know what this is going to do, Timothy? This is going to affect the message of the Gospel. They're going to look at you with a crooked eye and say, yeah, but that guy really isn't a man of the Word. He's not circumcised. So I will not listen to that message that he has. And so Paul says, listen, just get circumcised. Get this thing taken care of. Then you will have no hindrance. There will be no hindrance to the Gospel when you explain it to the Jews. And that's how serious Paul was about the message of the Gospel. Turn back to our text in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Because he says this is not only the way that he did it to the Jews, he also did it to uh, the Gentiles. Verse Verse 21, "...to those who are without the law as without the law," that is, Gentiles though not being without the law, but under the law of Christ. So Paul is saying, listen, I, among the Gentiles, I performed Gentile-type customs. I wasn't acting like a Jew around the Gentiles. But he makes it clear that, that that's not saying that I just eliminate all of the Scriptures because I still am under the law of Christ. See that there in the middle of the verse? It says, but, um, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ. He's saying... Just because I'm act, I'm uh, acting under Jewish or Gentile customs doesn't mean I'm just ignoring the law in general. Doesn't mean I'm setting the scriptures aside, and everything else doesn't matter. He's saying I, I still am under the law of Christ, but I'm willing to do whatever it takes within the bounds of what the scriptures scriptures teach, so that our goal here, the gospel will be presented unhindered. Do you see? And then he says uh, that he, he also becomes weak to those who are weak. Verse 22. 
That is, he even stooped to make the gospel clearer, clearer to those who were under lower understanding or didn't have quite of a, a comprehensive understanding of the Scripture. So he became as someone who, who was weak. He, he spoke in a, in a way that they would be, be able to understand so that they would not hear all this high and mighty talk and, and think, I reject that. See, he's, he wants to make sure that the gospel is unhindered however it is presented in his life. That was his goal. So he gives the reason for his sacrificial service in verse 23. Paul, why would you go to such extremes to do this? Verse 23, I do all things for the sake of the gospel so that I may become a fellow partaker in it. He does all things for the sake of the gospel. That is his his motivation. What he is thinking about. He doesn't care about what other people think of him. He doesn't care about how much time this is going to take working with this incoherent, foolish person. He doesn't care about what other people will will say about him when when he acts in these ways. The only thing he cares about is presenting the gospel in a way that is unhindered so that it can be that it can be given and received in a way that would be glorifying to God. So he gives gives himself up. He he gives himself to personal sacrifice. But not only that, he also gives himself to personal discipline in verses 24 through 27. Personal discipline for the sake of the gospel. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run, run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air. But I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. In these verses, Paul is explaining that he is personally disciplining himself for the sake of the gospel. He will do whatever it takes. And even though he has this liberty, he has these rights, he, he's trying to spread the gospel as far and wide as he can, he also recognizes that it requires self-control. Okay? He's not saying, all right, I'm, I'm getting rid of all the laws that the Scriptures have laid down and I'm just going to go out there and give it to them however I feel like it. He's saying it requires self-control, just like a runner running in a race. They do it to receive a prize. And the, the, the Corinthians would understand this very well because twice or once every two years they had the Isthmian Games, which were second only to the Olympics. And they were games in which they would have all these different sorts of competitions, just like you would have in the Olympics, where they'd have running races and, and swimming and whatever else. And Paul's saying... Who of those people that are in those races do not train themselves first? Do they show up to the race and go, all right, I'm ready to go? After not having trained? Certainly not. They discipline their bodies. They make it a slave in order to to win the prize. They have their eyes on a perishable wreath. And what they would receive at the end of these games is is you've seen them in the old pictures of uh, some sort of leafy... um, a crown that they would receive. And Paul's saying, they receive a perishable crown. How much more important is it for me? 
Because I'm looking after an imperishable, the end of verse 25. I'm going after an imperishable crown, one that will not fade away. How much more should I discipline my body and make it a slave? I beat my body so that, that I will be able to win some. So that I will be able to present the gospel in such a way that is unhindered by my foolish or unnecessary lifestyle. And so there's four things that, that it requires if we're going to, to compete, if we're going to go after this goal. The first thing that it requires is self-control. Verse 25, everyone who competes in the game exercises self-control in all things. If we want to make the gospel our priority, if we want to make it our goal to go after it and, and present it unhindered, then we need to have self-control. Secondly, it requires looking towards the prize. The second part of verse 25 says that they do it for, to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. See, they had this goal in mind that when they got to the finish line, if they made it first, they would receive this perishable wreath. But Paul's saying, mine's not a perishable one. Mine is imperishable. So secondly, they need to look towards the prize. Thirdly, verse 26, it requires a purpose. Paul knew his purpose very well. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim, and I box in such a way as not beating the air. But I discipline my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I will not be disqualified. His point is that he's trying to win as many people as possible. You can also see this in verses 19, 22, and 23. That Paul has a purpose in mind. And he is looking towards a goal. And then lastly, it requires discipline. Verse 27, But I discipline my body and make it my slave. So self-control, looking for the prize, a purpose, and discipline. Just as an athlete goes through physical and emotional hardship in order to attain this goal that he has set for himself, so Paul even endures physical. I mean, look at the, the history of Paul and what he went through for the sake of the Gospel. He put himself under personal hardship and he even, in this passage, gives up the right that he has to receive material support for the sake that, that the Gospel would be advanced. Have you ever seen a marathon runner that was in the race, who's wearing khaki pants, he's got his wallet, his cell phone, a belt, car keys, a button-up shirt, briefcase. No. What do they do when they get to the starting line? They shed all those things, right? And all they have is the bare essentials that they have to have to run that race. They put all those things aside. The runner has determined his goal and he realizes that if I'm wearing all these things, this is going to hinder my goal, right? If I'm wearing all these heavy clothes and, and items that I'm carrying, it's going to hinder me from getting to my prize. So I'm willing to shed all those things. I don't care what I look like to other people. I don't care how high my shorts are or whatever. I'm going to run and I'm going to do my best to, to shed all these things. And that means that, that even leading up to that, it, it requires some discipline on their part. They have to give up some personal time of enjoyment. 
I mean, last time I checked, running was not fun. I mean, some people take joy in running, but I, I don't see how they can do it. And so they give up pers- times of personal enjoyment, of, of personal recreation, so that, that they can get to that, that final prize that they're looking for, the victory. And some people might say to Paul, Paul, why are you not accepting money from the churches? I mean, it doesn't make sense. I mean, you've spent so much time sharing the gospel. Paul, why don't you spend your, your free time on recreation? Why are you so concerned about, about, about the gospel? Why do you sacrificially serve all these different people groups to the, to the expense of your own personal character and, and physical well-being? Why do you discipline your body so much, giving up all the comforts that you deserve? And Paul replies in verse 23, I do all things for the sake of the gospel. I do all things for the sake of the gospel. There is nothing more important to me. And so when I have that goal in mind, all those other things don't matter. You know, receiving a little bit of money here and there, having time of recreation and a lack of personal hardship, those things do not matter to me. Because I've got my eyes set on my prize. Same way that a runner does. Those things don't matter to me. Now let me pause to warn about a potential danger in our understanding. Because often what happens is when we get to verse uh, 22, the second part, it says, I become all things to all men so that by all means I may save some. We get to that verse and we say, well, Paul is willing to do whatever it takes to, to go after the gospel so he's even willing to change the message of the gospel. But that's not the case at all. Paul is not changing the message of the gospel at all. And that's why he says, I am still under the law of Christ. So don't think that I'm trying to change things in order for people to accept it. What happens a lot of times with with the message of the gospel is we cherry coat it. We sugar coat it so that people will accept it better. Oh, well, you know, people don't really like to hear about sin. So I won't talk about sin. And you turn on your TV and watch a few of those preachers and you're going to find a lot of that. They're not going to mention sin at all. What they'll talk about when they talk about the Gospel is all the benefits that you receive. And those are true. But they won't talk about your sin condition and your standing before God. And what happens is they've changed the message of the Gospel, haven't they? And now what's given is not the Gospel at all. So do you see what would happen if Paul would do this? His goal was to give the Gospel. But when he takes a portion of the Gospel away, that's not no longer his goal anymore. His goal is not to go after the Gospel. His goal is for people to receive it. His primary goal is, to, is for people to receive it, certainly, but to receive the Gospel, not the watered-down Gospel. And, and ultimately, it doesn't really help when we water down the Gospel. Do you realize that? It does not help at all. Okay? The, the message of the Gospel is offensive and it has to be offensive for people to accept it. If we give them something other than what is in the Scriptures, then we are not giving them the Gospel at all. And Paul says as much in Galatians chapter 1, verse 8. He says, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a Gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, 
Okay, did you hear what he said? But even if we or an angel from heaven preaches you to a gospel other than the one we've already preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you have received, he is to be accursed. So not not only is Paul saying that it's detrimental to the person who receives it, they're not receiving the real gospel, he's saying if you give that to them, you are you're not even preaching the right gospel. You are a messenger of Satan. And that's exactly what Satan is doing in our day. He's taking the gospel, he's taking portions of it that people will enjoy, he's twisting it a little bit, and then he's giving it to people. He's saying, here, here's the gospel from the Bible. Paul's saying, if you ever hear anyone, even if it's me, give to you a gospel that is not the gospel of the Bible that you've already received, he is to be accursed. So Paul's not saying, I've become all things to all men in that I'm willing to do whatever. I'm just throwing off all the guard, all my guards and dropping all my guards and I'm going to make sure that people get it. He understands that the Gospel has to be presented as it is in Scripture, but there are often hindrances to it. We can't tolerate a watered-down Gospel. We can't accommodate everyone else's beliefs. That is not what we're here to do. If we want to make the Gospel our priority, if we want to make that our goal, just as Paul did, then we need to do a few things. First of all, we have to make it we have to make a commitment to the gospel. We have to make a commitment that the gospel is priority in our lives. That the spread of the gospel is important to us. And that means, number two, that every aspect of our lives should be structured around the gospel. This means we have to ask ourselves some hard questions. What is most important in your life? What is it that is your primary goal and everything else takes second place? How do we make the gospel our finish line goal? How do we put that at the center of our focus? What type of... Maybe the better question to ask is what types of activities or attitudes are hindering us from presenting the gospel unhindered? Okay, Paul recognized his. It was receiving money. He didn't want to do that so that he could make the gospel more presentable. He, he was uh, giving up his rights so that the gospel would be presented. What is it for you? What types of hindrances are there to the gospel? Is it apathy? is that, quite frankly, you don't really care if people hear it or not. You know, God saved me, but I don't really care if anybody else hears it, so I'm going to live however I want to live. Maybe it's laziness. You know, I don't really feel like it. I don't feel like spreading the Gospel. Or, you know, it's really too much work. I mean, if someone asks me, sure, I'll tell them. I'll tell them the gospel. I'll tell how God saves me, but I'm not going to go out of my way. I'm not going to give up this right I have as as a Christian even. I'm not going to give that right up. Maybe it's pride. I know I need to, but 
but I'd rather not. Maybe it's fear. People might not accept me. You see what we've done? We've filled up our lives with so many things that have clouded what has what should be our priority, what should be of eternal significance. And as a result, all those things have gotten in the way of the most important thing. And now we don't have any room for it. We say, well, yeah, we'll give the gospel, but you know, the gospel's kind of down here. What is it that you're not willing to forsake? What is it that you must hold on to? Maybe it's your Wednesday evenings. I'm not going to come and learn more about the Gospel at church. I'm not going to spend more time in church than I already am. Maybe it's time with friends. I have to have my time with friends, so I'm not going to give that up. Maybe it's a particular kind of music. Or your right to do whatever you want, whenever you want, and no one's going to stop you. Maybe it's your health or your sleep or your right to pursue the American dream, to move up in your company. You know, I would give the gospel more. I would spend more time trying to understand the gospel and and allow the gospel to shine within this church, but I've got to pursue this dream, this American dream. I mean, everybody has the right to pursue that dream. I mean, how different would Paul's life be if he said, you know... Gospel is important, but I'd rather have these temporal satisfactions. These these nearsighted type things, I'd rather have those. I mean, I know the Jews need the Gospel, but you know, if they want it, they're going to have to hear it from someone else, just like I did. Maybe God will come knocking on their door. You know, those people under the law, I mean, how foolish. You know, I would never do that. They'll never get it. Why even bother? I mean, I do all things for the sake of my comfort. Gospel, yeah, that's cool. But but comfort first. That's my finish line, perishable wreath prize. The time for us to choose is not when we have that opportunity to give the Gospel. The time to choose what our priority is, is now. Because just like if you made it your goal to, plan this, to, to go to California, the time to begin planning is not when you... Get the day before California. Go, okay, I'm ready to go. What do I need to do? All of a sudden, there's no tickets available. There's no condos available. There's no rental cars. You're not going to be able to get into any of the events that you wanted to go to. It's too late. Or if we wait until the last minute to decide, okay, now I want to have all these dinner guests over, and it's the night of. All right, I have this huge house full of dinners. What am I going to make? It's time to decide. How many people are going to be here? No, it's too late. They're at the doorstep. And the time for us to decide with regard to to when to make the gospel priority is not when someone comes knocking on our door or when we meet that person at work who needs to hear the gospel. The time is now. Because when we get to that point, we'll say, "Yeah, yeah, the gospel is important to me. And the whole time, what have we been doing? We've been living a life of sin, and it's not a reflection of the Gospel at all. The Bible is not our authority until we get that opportunity. And now, what does that say to the person who we're trying to witness to? What does that say to them? The Gospel? 
You're saying this, this thing changed you? You're no different than me. Why would I want to take that? Or if they, if they hear the gospel and you have to explain it away because of the way that you've been living, then they're not really getting the true gospel anyway. We have to have a life that matches up with our message. And if we're going to do that, we have to decide now. And we're, we're willing to give up all of our personal comforts and goals and dreams for the sake of that one primary goal that we should all have. That the Gospel is presented in our lives and in our church unhindered by any of the rights that we deserve to use. And so we ought to be people who are regularly inconveniencing ourselves for the sake of of the Gospel. Is that something that you're willing to do? Paul certainly was. Let's ask God's help as we try to do that even this week and to make that decision for ourselves. Let's pray. Lord, we are so thankful for Jesus Christ and the message of the Gospel that that came to us at one time. We were deserving of Your full and final wrath. We deserved to pay the penalty for our sin because of our opposition toward You. And yet You sent Jesus Christ from the glory of heaven to the shame of the earth to be ridiculed and scorned and mocked and spit on and beaten and crucified so that we could have life. It is amazing to think that the just, Jesus Christ, would die for the unjust, us. We deserve nothing but Your wrath, but Jesus Christ came and saved us. And some person in our lives, some point, shared with us the message of the Gospel through Your Word. Not because of anything that we deserved or because we lived such a... uh, a great life that that we were so worthy of your your gospel we were worthy of nothing but your wrath so i pray that you would help us to make the goal of our lives to have the gospel presented unhindered by anything within our lives and lord you know that that means inconveniencing ourselves for the sake of the gospel just as paul did And while that's hard, we know it's not impossible because You have given us Your promise that You will be with us and You've given us the Spirit to help us. So we pray that we would make this decision for ourselves and that we would constantly keep the Gospel at the forefront of our thoughts so that all of the trials and troubles and and comforts of this world grow strangely dim in the light of our ultimate goal, to see Your face and to hear, well done, Thou good and faithful servant. May You be pleased with the way that we live our lives and we present the Gospel to everyone around us. And I pray that this would also be the case within our church, that we would be a shining light of Your grace, of Your grace in the Gospel. 
Thank you so much for Jesus Christ. We pray in His name. Amen.